Welcome to the Game Dev Field Guide bonus episode number seven. Today's special guest, Kevin Anderson. Today's bonus episode and all bonus episodes for the Game Dev Field Guide are sponsored by the patrons. Everyone gets this episode for free, and it's all thank you to the generosity of the patrons. If you would like to become a patron, support the show, as well as get some bonuses like voting on episode topics, sponsoring episodes like this one, and getting a special Discord role, I will leave a link to our Patreon in the show notes. With that out of the way, let's move on over to the first segment of the show. For the first segment of the show, we're going to play Buff Debuff. It's the game where you guys suggest topics, and I don't really do any research. I just go off my first thought, um, and I say whether or not the topic is buffed or debuffed. Things that are buffed are things that are trending positive, things that I like, and things that are debuffed are things that need work or things that I don't like. So let's start off with our first topic. Our first topic is Unity requiring pro licenses for consoles. And I think this is a recent change. It used to be that you could use the free version of Unity to launch console games for, you know, Xbox and PS4 and Switch. But recently they've changed it so that you need a pro license. I think you can maybe still make the builds, but you can't, like, publish the game without the pro license. So, yeah, anyways, this is an easy one. To me, this is debuffed. It's kind of just a, you know, a straight-up loss for people who use the free version of Unity, and there's not really an upside to it. So, yeah, it's pretty easy to say that is debuffed. Next, we have monetization via NFT. I'm assuming in the context of games, video games. We have talked about NFTs before, I think. And, uh, yeah, I've learned a lot more about them since then. And I'm going to say monetization via NFT is buffed but like five years in the future. At the moment, I think NFTs are still, people are still trying to figure out how to use them. And it's a newer technology as well. So they're still like working out some of the kinks. For instance, the proof of work versus proof of stake blockchains and all that stuff in the environmental impact. I feel like I've done a good 10 hours of research and I'm still scratching the surface of NFTs and blockchain and all that stuff. In the long run, in the big picture, I think NFTs are going to be a game changer for anyone who makes content, including video games, music, movies. I don't quite know enough about the technology to like connect all the dots yet, but I've just got a feeling that the NFTs are going to be the thing that finally allows content creators to get the most out of their projects. In other words, cut out the middleman, the Steams, the, you know, stores, the Epic stores, the stuff like that. Cut out that percentage that they take and just monetize your games to their full effect. So yeah, I would say NFTs for monetization purposes for your games are buffed with the caveat that that buff 
It only really happens in, I'll say, five years. Next topic is highly stylized shaders. And I'll tell you straight from the jump on this one, highly stylized shaders are buffed. I think shaders are really, really cool, and I like high stylized graphics because it makes your game stand out amongst the crowd. Recently we've been talking about how many games come out on Steam and how to maybe market and stand out and one of the easiest ways is just having a game with a art style that is naturally eye-catching. And so if you can come up with a shader that makes your game pop out, I think it's a really good idea. It's even cooler. My favorite like high stylized shaders are ones that try to imitate other art forms. So for instance, like if you wanted to make a game that had a comic book feel to it and you could make a shader that gave it that, I don't know if stippling is the right word, but you know how some comic books, like older ones have the just colored dots and the picture is made up of a matrix of colored dots. I think that could be a really, really cool shader and a really cool way to imitate kind of those older classic comics. So yeah, anyways, in my opinion, highly stylized shaders are definitely buffed. Next topic is games selling soundtracks. I think this is buffed, but it's kind of dependent on how it's executed. For instance, I can see games selling soundtracks as a positive if there's someone who just likes music more than they like games, and they just want the soundtrack from your game. So you sell them the soundtrack at a discounted price, like maybe... You can buy the whole game for $10 or just the soundtrack for $1. Selling the soundtrack separate from the game where if you pay the $10, you don't get both. I don't know. I just don't think it's a fair deal for the consumer. I suppose there's an argument for the convenience of it. um, And maybe the convenience is worth the price. But if we're talking about convenience, you would just put the soundtrack up on Spotify for free or just on the internet in general for free, and that would be probably the most convenient. So really, selling the soundtrack separate from the game is only going to be most convenient and probably most applicable to people who like collect video game soundtracks, which I think is cool. If you're going to do it, though, I don't know, I think it should just be like pay for a piece of the package or pay for the whole package, and the whole package is the game, and with the game you get the soundtrack. So it's buffed if it's in that structure where you can pay for just the soundtrack or you can pay for the game and the soundtrack. Kind of in that same vein, the next topic is ultimate editions of games. I'm assuming by this they mean maybe a game that just is a bundle and includes all of the DLC or maybe a re-release of a game with some additional content. Recently, I've been playing Diablo 2 Resurrected, which is kind of a re-release and remaster of the old classic game with some extra, you know, graphic fidelity and nice stuff. I would consider it the ultimate edition of Diablo 2. It includes its DLC. It's got a lot of nice quality of life changes. And yeah, I think ultimate editions are buffed if they include those things. You got to do it right. The goal as a developer with an Ultimate Edition is to kind of generate some more buzz about your game and maybe squeeze out a few more sales and really make the best game or make that project the best it could have been. This is where you do all of the 
quality of life improvements. Maybe you include some things you wish you would have when you originally released the game. But financially, the goal with an Ultimate Edition is to get some of the last sales out of that project. The problem with that mindset, though, is that people just release Ultimate Editions without doing any of that other stuff, (laughs) and it's basically just a re-release of the original game with some very, very minor tweaks. So if you are going to do an Ultimate Edition, uh, make sure it lives up to the Ultimate name and it is the best possible representation of that project and it's worth buying again. If you do that, I think it's buffed and a great way to make that project the best it could have ever been and to make some more money off of it. Next topic is game devs interacting with their players via Twitter. I think this is buffed and pretty essential actually for your game's community, but it does have some pretty negative pitfalls that you have to be careful of. Firstly, I think communicating with your community uh, around your game is super, super important. Whether you do that on Twitter or Discord or whatever, it's nice to be able to talk to people and get feedback and kind of provide a roadmap. That being said, the communication goes both ways. And so if you're opening yourself up Uh, especially on Twitter, you're definitely going to get some negative communication your way. Unfortunately, that's just the state of, well, social media, really. And I don't know what it is about video games that, like, brings (laughs) the fury out of people. But yeah, maybe you make a mistake or you change something about your game and you communicate that over Twitter and you might get some flack for it. In fact, you probably at some point will get some flack for it. But I still think the positive communications you get from just interacting with your players and, uh, yeah, just being like a good communicator with your community, I think that's such a huge benefit that I would ignore the negativity. Sometimes, though, the negativity is so strong that it's hard to ignore. So, yeah, in that case, I would say it's probably debuffed, but... I'm hoping for most people that interacting with their players via Twitter or any social media is buffed. And with that said, if you are a person who plays games and follows the developers on Twitter, it's fine to criticize the game based on its like design merits. Where it goes wrong though is like you start criticizing the people who are the game designers. So if you're listening to this, hopefully you have some insight now into how hard it is to make a game, how even the most experienced of us make mistakes. And so, yeah, don't be that game fan on Twitter that is super critical of the people behind the game and is like threatening them over social media. Don't be that person. (laughs) I hope now that you have like sort of a background knowledge of it, you can see that It's really, really hard to make a good game. And the super harsh criticism of the people doesn't help. It's perfectly okay to criticize a game based on its design merits. Um, Just remember that the people behind it are really hardworking, really intelligent, and uh, yeah, we all make mistakes. Funnily enough, the next topic is publicizing game balance info, which kind of goes hand in hand with the last topic and what I was just saying. This is kind of a double-edged sword. I think communication is key, and so 
I personally would publicize game balance info, and I think it's buffed. But others might say, by doing things like this, you're kind of opening the door to really negative interactions. This kind of brings up an interesting conversation about, like, if you show someone the game balance info, and that's all they get to see about the project, they might think that they have all the answers because the game balance, let's just say you posted a tweet about kill-death ratios per character or something like that. Someone who's a fan of the game might look at that and they would form a whole opinion and sort of strategy for rebalancing the game based on that one piece of information. What they don't see is all the behind-the-scenes stuff of the game. And while they might get uh, f- or give feedback rather in the right direction based on that one piece of information, they couldn't possibly know all of the stuff going on in the project unless they were part of the project. So yeah, when you publish or publicize bits of information about the game balance, I think it would be really important to communicate what the um, information says to you because you're the most knowledgeable about the project. Kind of for these last two topics, the key has been communicating clearly with your community. I think if you do that, you'll always be going in the right direction despite some inevitable negativity. So yeah, with that said, communication in general is always buffed. And that's going to do it for the first segment of the show, Buff Debuff. If you have some topic ideas for Buff Debuff, make sure to go on over to our community Discord. There's a link in the show notes. And go to the Buff Debuff channel, and you can just type out whatever topic you want to hear that relates to game dev. With that, we're going to move on over to the second segment of the show. This is the key thought from our special guest, Kevin Anderson. Kevin is an indie dev who's active on Twitter and Twitch. I'll leave all the social media links in the show notes so you can find them. And his segment today is a really, really great and raw look at sort of the process of making a commercial video game and how to kind of deal with the stress of doing it. So yeah, if it's your dream to eventually make a commercial video game and release it on Steam, for instance... I think listening to Kevin today will be really influential because this is a guy who has done it. I think he has really good insights in this talk, especially about the um, frequency of making prototypes and how long it takes to polish a game and all this. There's some really good stuff in this talk. So yeah, I guess without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Kevin Anderson. Hey, Zach. Thanks for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. So, yeah, my name is Kevin. Usually go by Anderson Kev online on like Twitter or Twitch or anything. Look at that. A few seconds in already plugging my stuff. But today I want to talk about like my flexible approach to making games and how I try to avoid stress in various ways. First, I just want to mention a little bit like what I've done in my career so far. I started making games back in 2009 in school and stuff. And then I was a level designer on a project called Zombie Vikings. 
and uh, that came out on like PS4 and a bunch of other platforms. Then I became a producer for a game called Flipping Death. This was within the same company. And like outside of work, I I was a programmer on a project or a game called Alva's Awakening. And then after a few years in the industry, about four, I left that company to go full time and like do my own kind of thing. Video games, like indie games, you know. So I've been around doing a bunch of different stuff. And then I like decided to go full on solo. We were a team of four people making Alva's Awakening and Alva's Legacy, the sequel. Then I went solo to do my own thing alone, which allowed me to be very flexible on how I work and making decisions of like live streaming the development, deciding what to show. Like I never had to double check with anybody else, which was freeing in some way. There's pros and cons of that. So after making games for a few years uh, with teams and then alone, I started thinking about like how I make games, which part I think is fun and boring or where the majority of my prototypes dies. Like I make a lot of prototypes. I usually like back in the day, I used to throw out like at least one prototype every weekend and then sometimes one in the week as well. And these prototypes could be just like testing out an idea just very basic playing nothing major i noticed a pattern in the way i make games where a lot of my prototypes dies after or when i'm gonna find the art style so now that i know that i can whenever i get to that point in the development i can be more okay with the project being boring like if i get to that point and i'm like ah the game's not fun anymore I'm not feeling it, then I know that it's most likely because I need to find art style for me to mentally progress with the game. So I can just like push through. Once I get past it, project becomes more fun again. And then I know that I'm past that point of like, hey, I don't know how the game is going to look or everything. Because I like to get a like a foundation for the project. Like every part is done. I'm getting ahead of myself. So let me jump into it. How I make games. My games are very gameplay oriented. There's not a story heavy games and stuff like that. So what I tend to do is very basic colors like boxes and circles and everything just like basic color and trying out to make something within four hours. I usually call this phase the four hour prototype. So the goal is to have something playable within four hours. Now, if you were to try this yourself, like I've made, I've been making games and smaller prototypes a lot for many years. So four hours is a good frame for me. You, if you're new to this, you could take longer. It doesn't matter as long as you set a, a time frame. be like, okay, within this time, I need to focus on like the, the gameplay, just like have one scene where you can only do the core gameplay in my game latest game called hop legs i have some ground pieces a box and four legs that can stick out the game is like you play as a cube in a 2d view and abyx on an xbox controller extend one leg on each side individually and it's a physics jumping game so in that prototype in those four hours it's just a green box with colored legs jumping around and on orange boxes. That's it. But you can see the fun as you jump around and do your thing. It's a great way to see the potential of like, is the idea working? And should I keep dreaming about like 
strange ideas, like what it, the potential of the game. And I'm very active on Twitter as well. So I post it there and see, like test out the water a little bit. Like how, what's the reaction? What do people think? What do people say? Like if it falls flat, fine. Then I'll move on to the next idea. Like I've, I've had ideas that I've been like thinking about for like two years. Then I'm gonna sit down to actually like, okay, I'm gonna make it. Then I try for four hours and then I'm like, okay, this wasn't fun at all. I try to make like a hotel tycoon in 2D where each room was a physics block. So it was a physics based tycoon game. That wasn't fun at all. Like at least my interpretation of it. So then I like stopped thinking about that idea and moved on with my life and other ideas. And if we get to that point where we have this idea that we worked on for four hours and we like it, people on Twitter seems to like it. Uh, some of my friends seems to like it as well. We're in a good spot. Then I take that four hour prototype and move on to the next phase, which is one month of ideas is what I call it. And that is when I try to take every thinkable idea for the game. No idea is dumb enough. And the risk with me, like here, I usually promise too much since I talk a lot publicly. So I tend to promise things and then I have to like, well, finish what I say. So there's a big risk for me especially since I'm live streaming most of the development. And after that month of like writing down every idea that I can think of and rank them in like possibly good or stuff like that, or probably going to skip this one. Then I get to the point where I usually get bored of the project. Every project that I've released commercially, I've been bored of because I get to the point of like finding the look. And the reason I want to get there is because the producer part of my brain really want to be able to estimate how long it's going to take to finish the project. So if I have one level that's like fully decorated with like the art style, I can just give it to somebody or show somebody and say, imagine this, but X amount of hours or X amount of levels and stuff like that. And then I can like estimate how long it's going to take because later down the line, I know like the release windows during the year, which are better or worse to release in, like I can fit the game within that frame. I'll come to this later on, but I just want like, that's why I want to find the look early and be able to estimate the entire project or as good as I can at that point. And, and when I get to a point where the art style is there and I'm happy with it, I want to like take a few days or a week, maybe whatever to refactor a lot of things and restructure the game or at least add a main menu and stuff like that. So I get something like to the next phase or what I want to call it is like always playable. I always want to have a build playable ready so I can send out to friends and everything like that. So splash screens, main menu, and I don't usually add settings right away, but like I want to prepare for it. Because like I've been in situations before where a an event is coming up or somebody like a journalist reached out and be like, hey, could I get a build? I don't want to be in that position and say, yeah, could you wait two weeks? No, they're going to move on to something else. So I always want to have something playable that I could be like, yeah, sure. Here, here's a link. And hopefully they'll write something or at least keep it in their memory and stuff like that. So always playable. You could always say that it's you want a vertical slice. For those of you who don't know what a ver vertical slice is, I'll be very quick about it. 
Imagine that the whole game is a cake and you just cut out a piece for you to eat. And that is like a short like demo, like a vertical slice. There's every part of the game. Every part of the game is a layer and you can see, you can get a taste of every part of the game that more or less is a vertical slice. Imagine the game as a cake, a piece of cake. So now we have a very strong foundation. We have an idea that is fun, uh, an art style that we can, um, we know like the benchmark of like, what is, what does the level look like? And we have the start like the splash screens main menu you can click play and jump in a level and jump around and this is the part where i look like what month is it when am i gonna release so i usually think like will the game be finished before october because a lot of bigger games comes out between like october and december and people might have bought games during the holidays so releasing early in january might not be the best and since my games often have unlockables and there are like different chapters or world or whatever so i can always wait with the majority of the unlocks until later and adjust based on how much time i have how much time i got left or I even scale down or up chapters based on time some ideas could also be released as a post-release free content update or something like that i'm a big fan of planning projects especially got up from when i worked as a producer but I've taken it with me as I moved on to other things. And like when I went solo, I planned like two years ahead just because I thought it was fun. Like I knew which games I wanted to make and almost all of them follow the same structure. I could get a rough estimate and like, should I make a smaller game now and a bigger th game then and stuff like that. But if we look at a project and its different phases, so we take the four hour prototype we're happy with it that's like an evening and then we expand on it for one month and after that month we we find the art style and that could take a while at least for me so if we say another month for the art style like imagine like the ups and emotional ups and downs and then trying and failing and then at the end being like okay i can work with this i can do this then it's been like two months total since the four hour prototype and then like a week or two to prepare the project to have like the like logos and main menu and then click to play and all that stuff to prepare it. Now we are ready to enter production. And that is when we're just going to fill out everything that we built and prepared for. So usually I say like between like four and like seven months of like production i don't like to make games for too long because after a while you get bored of it and you don't really want to wrap up a game that you're bored of so if we take the longer version so like three months to get to a production ready project and then like seven months of actual production that's 11 months and then what i try to do is i try to be finished with the game one month before i'm about to release because I don't want to stress like the final weeks before release. I want to know that the game is bug free and I can like have it sit waiting for me until I release it and focus on like marketing stuff and more like play testing. The goal, the final goal, the ultimate goal is to sit there on release day, press release my app or release my game or whatever it says, and then just exhale. 
not being worried that there's going to be bugs and all that stuff. Sure, there can be bugs, sure. But in the grand scheme of things, it's fine. The game is out. You can just enjoy people playing your game. You don't want to sit and hot fix on, on release day. That's horrible. You either want to relax or you want to go the extra mile to send out to through more channels like Discord, Reddit, Twitter, anything like that. And in general, like don't underestimate how long it takes to send out like press releases and prepare gifts for social media and all like, for your press kit and all that stuff. Uh, I wasn't planning on like going into this. It might have derailed a little bit. So I'll stay within the flexible game development topic that I was talking about before. But so the game is out and after all the emotions have like calmed down a little bit, the hype has died down. You can like start to think about like post release content. Like was there something that you cut in order to release the game within the time frame or where you felt better like mentally? Like can you release that in post release content? Uh, would it fit well for like Halloween, winter, Easter update or something like that? Or just like in general, like an update. Not saying that every game needs to have these kind of like updates, but I, I enjoy those. I think those are cute. So if we're summarizing a little bit, like what I've been talking about, is like I try to do a four hour gameplay prototype to test out the idea, post on Twitter and see how people react, like what does the numbers say, what does the comments say, how do I feel, and then from there on I take, like expand one month to find every possible idea that could work, and in my case, since I live streamed the game, uh, the development of my prototypes and stuff like that, I, <laughs> I get into discussions a lot with the viewers, like ideas that come in, I talk about them, like a lot of the ideas are good, so I usually try them out and then we like, see, it grows a community, uh, and then grows, like if I like the idea and I find the art style and I keep doing it on Twitch and stuff like that, I get a community going around the game and I get somewhat help in terms of like the hype for it because if people are excited about what I do and I'm excited for what I do like it it just gets better the end product will be better by that again derailing so after I find the art style I clean up the project and then I have a rough plan for the game or then a plan for the game so I know how long it's gonna take in production and to release the game and then we enter the production phase where that's the longest phase usually usually is where you just flesh out like add the levels add the customization tweak things here and there and then we get closer to release honestly i don't remember if i said this but i try to have the game ready like one month before i release yeah i said this i'm so sorry but the feeling that you have if you're sitting there knowing that the game comes out in a month and it's done and then you can like play like every other day or something like that just to make sure that there's no bugs that feeling that level of confidence is undescribable and then you just prepare everything for release in terms of like gifts social media you talk with people send out press releases and keys to journalists or streamers or whoever you just try to reach as many people as possible and then you release it it's amazing and then you do post-release content to have these like marketing beats so you can keep talking about the game 
and still smoothly promote it and all that stuff. But yeah, I try to have my games in general uh, scalable to fit whatever is going on. Like, do I need to release earlier for some reason? Like, bigger games are coming out, so I need to release before that. Is the game a hit, so it needs more content? Do I need to scale it up in that sense? Or is there, like, these, like, Steam festivals and all that stuff? Do I need to scale the game so I can, like, have the Steam festival and then within a month or two after that, release it? So I, like, build up an audience closer to release. I hope this was somewhat interesting to listen to um i got very excited when i started thinking in these terms like figuring out why i got bored of my projects and then starting analyzing usually i don't analyze too much but i was very excited about this so if you do try something that i've talked about at least the four hour prototype then i hope you you have fun and no pressure of keeping it within four hours that's just like what i do what i tend to do uh because i like to get ideas out of out there test them out and feel for them and i should probably have something to announce which is like i'm in that phase now with my project hop legs that's we're about to announce something very very soon and i i i, I want to say things but i don't want to ruin like what if this episode comes out like a few days before the actual announcement so what I, i'm gonna be somewhat vague i'm gonna pull a cheap one here go to my twitter anderson kev and see if i've announced something it's gonna be soon i'm so sorry but if you enjoyed it go check it out uh hop legs uh, and go check out my twitter and twitch if you like to watch people make games in this case me there are other cool devs as well on Twitch that make games, um, which is, I think, should have more attention to it. If you have any questions, let me know again on Twitter. Thank you for having me on the show. I appreciate it. I hope everyone who listens have a great day and take care of yourself. Thank you so much. My name is Kevin. Video games. And there you have it. A very raw and real look at Kevin's process for how he makes video games. I hope you can tell by his segment that Kevin is like a super enjoyable and positive energy kind of guy. I follow him on Twitter to kind of see the stuff that he's working on and I'm looking forward to tuning into a stream of his in the future because I think he brings that sort of positive energy with him um, to a live show. So yeah, big thanks to Kevin for joining us today and giving us his key thought. You can find him on Twitter at AndersonKev. That's Anderson with two S's. He is also on Twitch at twitch.tv slash AndersonKev. Again, Anderson with two S's. I'll leave all the links in the show notes so it's real convenient for you to go click those other links that will be in the show notes uh, will be my twitter that's at underscore zachavilli underscore that's if you want to get a hold of me tell me what you thought about the episode any episode or if you just want to talk in general about game dev i'm also active on our community discord pretty much every single day i'll leave a link for that in the show notes as well so yeah thank you for listening i hope you have a good day 
and I'll catch you on the next installment of the Game Dev Field Guide.